Focal Point, the IMV Imaging Podcast. For those that haven't met me, I'm Harriet, your host, and I'm here today with the usual members of the IMV clinical team. We have Laura. Hi, everyone. Sam. Hello, everybody. And Bethany, our clinical application specialist. Hello, everybody. As always, we're going to be chatting about a topic related to the field of diagnostic imaging. And today we've chosen to discuss the integration of CT into general practice. Long gone are the days of only finding 3D modalities in referral centres and vet schools, as more and more first opinion small animal hospitals are installing CT machines so to offer this option to their clients. With this, I'm pleased to welcome Nigel Perry to the podcast. Nigel is the 3D Imaging Sales Manager here at IMV. Hi there. So guys, what are the benefits of CT and is it something we should be encouraging our clinical directors to consider? Absolutely is the answer. Um, CT is a great addition to any veterinary um, practice. Um, It's basically a fancy x-ray machine that does much more. So we've gone from 2D imaging into 3D imaging and there's lots of benefits for 3D imaging. So things that CT are really good for is anything orthopedic. Um, It's great for any nasal lesions. accurately diagnosing any bladder disease and it's got increased sensitivity for metastatic disease um it's readily available quite quick it's quite easy to use um and obviously taking from going from x-rays in a 2d plane to ct in a 3d plane so you're actually able to take away any anatomy that might disclose or disguise any disease perfect so it's clear that CT is a really versatile technique, but I think we do have to remember that it's always going to be an addition to veterinary practice rather than you know a replacement for x-ray or ultrasound. Yeah, it, it will always work in tr- conjunction with lots of other imaging modalities, whether that's x-ray, ultrasound, and MRI, if that's readily available. Um, CT, like any imaging modality, has limitations, and it's always worth considering that another imaging modality might be better. So, for instance, anything neurological, your MRI would be a gold standard over your CT. Although you could get a MRI diagnosis, MRI would be the the gold standard choice. It's also important to still remember that CT is a high dose of radiation. Um, Obviously, there's things that CT scanner does to reduce that, um, but we are dealing with ionizing radiation, so it's always best to keep that in mind. But I think it's also um, important that not only has CT kind of in a way in its own right sort of revolutionised so the diagnostics of, uh, of several um, pathological conditions. Um, for example, it is it is the gold standard for quite a few conditions, whether that's orthopaedic or um, in sort of internal structures um, abdominally wise. Um, but, but also the knowledge that we've gained from CT has increased our ability to uh, make diagnoses and prognoses from other imaging modalities as well, such as ultrasound and x-ray. So it really has had quite a wide sort of um, impact on the veterinary profession, not only through its use as a really um, useful modality that is now um, increasingly available in not only referral practices and university clinics, but also in um, general practice. 
Um, but it's actually affected most of us, even if we haven't used CT, most of us have benefited from use of CT in veterinary practice. I'd have to agree with you there, Laura. CT really is a fantastic technique with regards to surgical cases. I know in one of my previous practices, we used to CT a lot of the fractures prior to surgery, and it just allowed for a more um, thorough assessment of the fracture and any fragments, and also a more accurate measurement for implants, um, especially with the ability to reconstruct the limb from the raw data into a 3D image. Um, I also know it's now gold standard for preoperative assessment in case of neoplasia, especially, you know, the lungs or mediastinum to perform a CT, just because you're able to overcome that superimposition in cases in areas of complex structures, and then just allow a greater assessment or a more thorough assessment for any metastases which may be present. And probably becoming increasingly accessible as well. Um, Compared with, for example, MRI, where um, interpreting an, an MRI image is really quite different from absolutely anything else that you, you may have done um, in any imaging modality, whereas CT is really very similar to uh, radiology. So a lot of the radiology principles with which we're all quite familiar apply uh, very similarly to CT. So it's it's very different in that it's sort of sectional images. We can see cross-sections of the animal that's not something that we're perhaps used to um, but it's a relatively easy thing to start to pick up and start to understand from an interpretation perspective but of course that said it's um, we live in the era where we can send these images to experts for their interpretation so even not having the expertise in-house to interpret these images it's still just as available to, um, to anyone. And it's not just the interpretation of the images which is easy but actually acquiring the images in CTs is a lot easier than, than many people think, certainly at a, at a first opinion level. And with good training from, from radiographers like Bethany, it's, it's perfectly trainable in, in first opinion vet practice. Whereas for, for more advanced things like MRI, I think really you, you should be looking at maybe having a radiographer in the practice to, to achieve those, those scans. Um, CT is much more straightforward. Yeah, that's something that uh, I found uh, having seen CT in action in kind of referral centres or universities or, or other practices. It's quite surprising how just how sort of efficient and the ease of use of the systems are now. Um, so much of it can be kind of uh, sort of automated and is more intuitive. And it's really something that people can pick up and then really add to the kind of diagnostic sort of power of the kind of clinic or the practice, especially if you've got the service services to work off the back of it, like orthopedic and neurological um, and neurology departments, um, it makes a huge difference. And just the um, having come from a background in general practice where I didn't have access to CT, it was quite surprising how efficient and sort of straightforward the systems were when people were, were working them and putting through cases and really banging through case after case very quickly, gaining a lot of information very quickly as well. Something I never appreciated with CT was just the use of um, contrast with it and the information that provides as well and that's something that's quite interesting to see when you see cases in action is just the way that kind of contrast is used which is very diff different to if you've come from the background of doing contrast radiography um, in, a, in a more traditional practice setting as well. 
Yeah, the contrast in CT is absolutely invaluable and um, it's a big part of CT. Um, not necessarily with orthopedic scanning, it's not necessary, but anything intra-abdominal or cranial, it's really, really important and it provides a lot of information. Equally, even before reporting, it enables radiologists to see if it's an abscess versus a metastatic or tumorous disease. So it, it it is really good but there are also contraindications with the contrast which you know is um is important to always factor into any decision when giving contrast but no totally agree it's 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 brilliant perfect well i guess despite all the benefits how practical really is the installation of ct into practice i mean it's not exactly small it must be a logistical nightmare i would say it's much easier than it uh, it certainly has been in the past um, modern systems are much smaller than the, the older units and, and a lot more efficient as well. So they, they need a lot less electrical power than the old units and consequently less air conditioning and and less access space as well. Um, so I mean, the main things you really need to consider are availability of three-phase electricity and, and room size. They're, they're I think, the, the ultimate um, factors that will will determine whether you can get CT in the practice or not. Is there a minimum size room that, that you need or do you need to consider what's next door, whether you can have it upstairs or does it have to be downstairs in when located in the practice? Um, yeah, I mean, straight off the bat, the last one there, does it have to be upstairs or downstairs? I, I think like 99.99% of, of installs are downstairs. You start going upstairs, you need crane hires and uh, floor re- reconstructions to, to strengthen so it, it's rarely practical to put one upstairs um, if you're going to fit one downstairs our, our minimum room is, is really about 4.7 by by 3 to 3.5 meters but you do have to be careful when you're looking at the specs some of the scanners will will state a minimum room size which is is a crazy small room with with very limited access, and often with the scanner on, you're running in a uh, a reduced scan length mode, which causes real problems. If you've say got a big dog on the table and you're wanting to do thorax and abdomen, you don't want to be scanning it head first, then turning it round, scan the abdomen, putting in contrast, scanning it turning it round, hoping there's some left in the thorax and then and scanning the thorax. So so we, we try and stay away from those minimum scan rooms because they just they just don't work in vet practice. Unless you're scanning cats. If you if you're just scanning cats they're great. But uh, they're few and far between. Of course, you also need room for uh, all the various different staff, personnel, um, and aesthetic equipment as well. Again, all of this takes up space that you would also need to to move around the machine and the patients. Yeah, I think you need to add on space for a control room because the one thing you can't do with CT is is be in the room whilst you're scanning. So you need an area outside of the room with a, a lead window or CCTV where you can still see the patient on the scanner and run the scanner safely uh, through the, the lead shield. So does the control room then, with that 
does that fit within the dimensions you gave us before, Nigel, when you said a sort of 3.3 by 4.5 metre room? Or would that be in addition to it if somebody was thinking about putting it in a practice? Um, yeah, so, so 4.7 is, is our minimum length to allow okay. for full travel okay. in the, scan, the scanner. Um, okay. The control room separate to that. And, and the reason why I always keep it separate is because sometimes it is a specific room, you know, with chairs and and a desk where people will sit down and scan. And sometimes it's just a it's just a piece of workbench with a window on it in prep looking into the scan room. And it's uh, it's not always a luxurious hideaway where you can you can sneak off and have a cup of coffee whilst you're running a scan. So sometimes it's just in the middle of prep. But it depends on the building. We can we can work to all sorts of different layouts. We just have to work work to what's available. And in regards to health and safety, I'm guessing that we have to appoint a radiation protection advisor and inform the HSE before installing a CT? The practice will appoint the, the, the RPA and we'll work with the RPA. So as part of the, the installation process, we, we produce technical layouts showing the exact position of the scan and where all the, the scatter radiation will, will impinge into the room. So they, the practice can give that to the RPA, who will then look at how much lead shielding is required in the room. And there's a number of factors that will be dependent on that. The, the size of the room will be one. So the further away the scanner is from the wall, the less lead shielding is generally required. Um, the RPA will also want to know how many scans you intend doing per year. So you can build up a picture of, of how much radiation will be, be emitted. And then the the existing density of, of any walls is also taken into account. So there's lots of, of factors and the RPA takes into to consideration when working out how much lead's needed within the wall. But there are a few different solutions to that now as well. So there's there's the old fashioned lead or there's barium plaster and safe board that can be used just to ease the building process. When you mention um, scans per year, if if somebody was thinking about putting a CT scanner in, is there is there a number of sort of scans per week or scans per day that, that, that's sort of an expected minimum for a practice, kind of as in terms of caseload? Is that something we kind of we we know, um, or is it does it just vary a lot site to site? Uh, we we have return on investment calculators that take into account buying the scanner over over five or seven years with with a service contract built into that period, um, and using that you you generally need to be doing about two scans per week to pay for the scanner and the service contract. Um, so anything beyond that it is is the scanner turning a profit. But um, I think what what most people don't really consider. An awful lot when they buy the scanner is, yes, there's anything over two scans per week will generate profit for the practice. But I don't really think they consider how much their surgery uptake will be. So if you buy a CT scanner, you're going to do more surgery. Uh, sometimes get asked to look at layouts of practices and they'll, uh, they'll say, oh, we're thinking of turning the this theatre that we don't use into a CT room. And the first thing you say, well... If you get a CT and you're going to need that theatre, you're going to generate more surgery. I mean, you remember this, you know, Sam, from being in, in practice, you know, you'll send things off for, for CT scans. 
Um, and then they go away. You don't get the surgery. You find out what the surgery is and you get quite disappointed. You think, well, we could have done that surgery. It's totally within the realms of the practice. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's, it's one of these big things that, that you've always got to think about any diagnostic imaging is sort of a step upon a case workup and it and it's it's not the sort of um, the, the final treatment or the outcome and it's having the sort of CT can really feed into services like um, orthopedics and as we mentioned neurology and soft tissue surgery there's a lot of applications for it um, now and and we exactly as you say Nigel we see, we see it a lot in that where you're referring cases where we know CT is the modality of choice um, for for patients um, and then that's the the case away so certainly if you've got the staff and personnel to run the surgical service off the back of it it completely makes sense to have access to that modality. No, absolutely. I know from practice and quite frustrating cases are those dogs that come in in the summer with unilateral nasal discharge and you know there's a grass seed up there somewhere. You send them off a CT and then they're able to image it perfectly and pull it out with a pair of forceps. And you know it's something that could have been done in practice had we had the facilities and saved the owner a trip down the road to the referral centre. Yeah, I think it all links back to is CT for everybody and I think the the basic answer is absolutely. I think, you know, I think it is for everybody. I think everyone can learn to use it and learn to love it. And the more you use it, the better diagnostic quality you get, the more you fall in love with CT and the imaging that comes out of it. So I think CT is really versatile. And I think anyone could get involved with CT. So... If you were starting in practice and you had no experience of using CT and you hadn't the experience of interpreting the images, where do you start with that? Where do you start with Im- image interpretation? How, how do you learn and how can you get help? Um, so image interpretation can be done um, in-house. Um, so you can learn off doing your own scans, but it also is quite important to get potentially an expertise um, input if you wanted official reports there are companies out there who you can send your images to um, but for example if you had an object caught in um, a dog's paw and you couldn't see the visualize that and you wanted to go for surgery then you, you could interpret your own images to that extent but it is kind of a self-taught continuous relationship there are courses out there as well that people can go on to um, and that can also help and what about with regards to experience with uh, image acquisition? Um, so all the training um, is provided um, by our clinical team, especially me. Um, so we teach people it's relatively easy how to learn to scam. And we spend a lot of time homing those skills with either vets, nurses, normally it's a mix. Um, and it is just repetition of doing it to a good diagnostic quality and also learning from others' mistakes um, and that all our courses out there as well that can help you with CT use. So again, coming back to sort of just some some of the, the I like to sort of think about CT from the point of view of somebody who hasn't ever had it because that's that's kind of my experience of practice. Something people talk about a lot when looking at CT um, systems and choosing which one to acquire is um, how many slices the system is capable of. So with with that in mind, it, what what does that what does that mean? How many slices they take and and why is it important? And and is it just a case that that more is better 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really common question, and it's not as straightforward as you might imagine. Um, more means faster. Um, so the more slices the scanner has, the quicker the scans will be. But clinically, that in animals, that's rarely uh, an advantage. Um, obviously, if you're in, in a human hospital, being able to scan more quickly when you're doing 30, 40 scans a day is, is a benefit. Uh, and also clinically, if, if you're looking at congested heart disease, but, but in most vet practices, anything above 16 doesn't really offer a great deal of benefit. Um, if anything, it, it adds more cost as the scanners are much bigger, um, the service contracts are higher, and they need more power. Uh, and certainly for most practices, if they're looking at, at high slice number systems, um, you're really then looking down at an ex-hospital system, which which realistically is going to be 10 to 20 years old um, with little or no service support from the original manufacturer and, and low image quality just to, just because of the age of the detector panel technology it's using. There's also a second factor out there which catches people out as well is there's uh, been some new technology in the last few years called overlapped reconstruction where you can get a detector panel to essentially double up the number of slices it has. So you could have a 16 slice CT, but we can, with some clever electronics and mechanics, you can make it achieve a pseudo 32 slice system. So you'll get some manufacturers selling 32 or 64 slice systems that realistically are actually 16 or 32 slice. So it's always worth asking, is that a true 16, 32, 64 slice system? What are you, what are you really buying? And for a 16 slice um, CT machine, what is the typical, you know, time frame for or per scan? I think Bethany would probably be the best place to answer that one. Um, yeah, so it is very dependent on what you are scanning. Um, so, for example, if we took an elbow, which we would scan very small thin slices, you're looking at anywhere from 25 seconds, potentially a cat's elbow, to up to 50 seconds for, say, a larger dog breed elbow. Um, for a full abdomen and pelvis, from potential start to end of examination, probably looking at 20 minutes, but that's with positioning the dog, making sure the GA is stable, setting everything up, giving the contrast, and then checking all your images after. So relatively quick. I think it's fair to say, Bethany, isn't it, that the vast majority of the scan time is actually taken up with positioning the dog and getting it into position rather than the the actual scan time. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's everything in between, all the monitoring. Um, that definitely takes up more time in setting your scans up. The actual, as you said, when it's actually irradiating the patient is a very, very short period of time. So... Going forward, just, just like a lot of the technology, we, we see a lot of advances in, in computing, a, a lot of advances in, in medical technology. And we're seeing that in other fields like ultrasonography and, and radiography equipment. CTO is obviously no different to this. What what do we think about the sort of the future of CT systems? What's it, what are people going to be seeing in sort of the newer systems and the systems that are coming up that can that can help them in practice, maybe? And, and and again might be something that they hadn't considered before but but may want to for systems that are available sort of now or just in the future 
Yeah, so CT um, in itself is fast moving, as a lot of technology is these days. Um, veterinary imaging, especially with CT, tends to always be just a few steps behind the human world, which is how it's always operated. Um, one thing that I'm seeing more frequently in practice um, that clinicians are wanting to use it for is guided biopsies. So CT guided biopsies um, of the thorax and sometimes the abdominal cavity as well. Um, which is really interesting and exciting. And, you know, the scanners that we provide have the capability to do this. There's also different packages you can get with our scanners. So you can do cardiac scanning, which is relatively new. Um, if you invest in an injector pump, you can do lots of um, arterial scans in the brain and um, within the chest. Um, so it's forever advancing and we're always catching up. There's so much more we can utilise the CT from within veterinary practice. Yeah, yeah. So how how do you do it? How do you do a CT guided biopsy? What happens there? So what happens in the human world, which is the only experience I have to go from, is that the radiologist um, is in the room. So we get a um, RPA person to come down, and the radiologist will stand at the side of the scanner where the gantry is, because that's where you're going to get least dose. They wear a lead gown, and they also have a lead screen. So the patient, you'll position the patient and do a pre-contrast scan, find the tumour. And then what we do is on a piece of sellotape, which sounds really um, unprofessional, we put six needles in centimetre, um, what's the word I'm in looking increments. for? That's the one. That's the one. Thank you. And then put that on the patient and re-scan where we think the tumour is. And then obviously we count because obviously, you know, which is head end, which is bum end. And then we count between and still get a CT guided large needle and put it in. And then we'll keep scanning the tiny, tiny little parts, almost like three slices, three slices, just to see that they're in the right one. And then they'll go and take the biopsy. And then we'll do a post scan to make sure we've not caused a pneumothorax or anything. So it's really good. So the, it's really good because in the veterinary world, you could actually potentially admit your patient, diagnose, biopsy and send home same day, which is what's done in the human world for a quicker turnaround. I've seen it done once. They did a slightly different technique. So when when you're scanning, each slice has a number. So as you're going through, you can you can determine which slice you can see, for example, the centre of, the, of the, the mass in. And then I'm pretty sure we moved the scanner to that slice. So you've got you've got a laser cross section that indicates like the location relative to the slices and to the patient. And then um, literally just using that and like in it, I guess in your mind trying to work out where it is, inserting the needle and then scanning just to make sure if the needle is where you want it to be. Cool. No, thanks. That's interesting because I didn't know anything about that. Um... It sort of uh, it makes sense now you describe it, it um, how that's done. Well, I think that's been a really good discussion about CT, and we can all agree it's got a huge place in veterinary diagnostic imaging. It's going to be really interesting to see how it integrates further into general practice in the future. So thank you all for joining me, and thank you to everyone who's listened. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast, and we'll be back next month for another episode of Focal Point. Until then, please do visit our website imv-imaging.co.uk and social media platforms for lots more great content to help improve your imaging skills. So it's goodbye from all of us. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you later. Bye. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.